Exodus chapter 3. Before we begin reading in Exodus chapter 3, I want us to turn back to Exodus chapter 2 and verse 21. Uh, Exodus chapter 3 tells us about uh, Moses. He's on the backside of the desert. This is after he's, uh, uh, he uh, ran away from Egypt because of his uh, attacking the Egyptian taskmaster and killing him. So he, he f- uh, fleed for his life. Uh, he ran for his life, and he came to the backside of the desert And as we can see here in Exodus chapter 2 is what the Bible says. In Exodus chapter 2 and verse 21, it says, And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses Zipporah his daughter. Uh, That key word there, I believe, is the word content. After where where we see Moses right now at the beginning of Exodus chapter 3, he's content and he's happy and he's comfortable with where he's at. He has a family. He has a job. It's a shepherd. It's on the backside of the desert. It's far away from anything, but at this point, nobody's trying to kill him. And so I would say he's pretty content with where he's at. But in Exodus chapter 3, the Lord uh, comes to Moses, and he begins to speak to him through a burning, fiery bush. And we, we'll be, pick up reading in verse 7 uh, of Exodus chapter 3. And it says here, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. In verse 7, we see what the Lord says here. He says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. Now, what do we know about Moses? As God is telling him, I have seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, Moses knows exactly what he's talking about. Moses is very aware of what God is telling him. We look at verse 8, and it says, And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large and to a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Verse 9, he says, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. The Lord makes it very clear of his, what he's seen, how, how he feels about it. He's not happy that his children are suffering at the hands of the Egyptians. And he gives Moses a clear plan of, of what he intends to do about this situation. And as God is talking to Moses, I can only put myself in Moses' brain for just a moment and, and only imagine knowing Moses' history and where he came from. As God is telling him everything that is as going on and that has transpired with the, Egypt, uh, with the Egyptians towards the Hebrews, Moses is say, agreeing with God because he's seen, he's seen the affliction that the Hebrews are suffering at the hands of the Egyptians firsthand. He knows exactly what God is talking about. Friends, can I tell you, it is easy for us to hear about needs and, and areas of service that, that people need to go to. We need people in mission fields all around the world. We need people in areas of service in our local churches. We need people to serve. There are people out there that are lost and dying. There are people that, though they're uh, maybe not in a physical affliction, they're in a spiritual affliction. They're in spiritual bondage, and they need to be told the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ who came to this earth. He He died. He was buried and he raised again on the third day for their sins so that that we can have freedom from those sins. It's very easy to hear of the need for people around the world. 
But as we look at the next passage of script, uh, verse, the Lord speaks to Moses and he says in verse 10, Come now therefore and I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Friends, it's very easy to hear of a need and agree with it and say, oh yes, somebody needs to go and have a burden for that field but, or, or that area of service. But when God says, come now therefore and I will send thee, friends, that's a different story. We see here what happens with Moses. The Lord says, come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh. Moses begins to make excuses. And we're going to look at several of these excuses, several of these problems that Moses has with what God is asking him to do. But we're not only going to look at the problems, we're going to look at the answers that God gives to his problems uh, as well. So before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that as we look at this example of Moses, uh, Lord, I pray that we will learn from it and we'll apply this passage of Scripture to our lives. Lord, I love you. I thank you so much for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I would, I would venture to say that everyone here in this room at one time or another has made an excuse. I remember growing up with my dad, and my dad would give me a job to do, and I would make an excuse. And uh, he one time looked at me and he said, you know, an excuse is only you not having the courage to say you just don't want to do it. Um, he said, son, he said, you have every opportunity to do this, excuse, uh, this job. He said, stop making excuses and just get the job done. Here, uh, Moses begins to make excuse after excuse of why he can't do it. And the first excuse that he has or the first problem that he has is he has a problem of perspective. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 11, Moses says here, uh, and Moses said unto God in verse 11, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses here is focused on himself. And we're going to see that in Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4, this is not the only time that he tries to bring the focus back on himself and the, and the attention back on himself. But what does he say? He says, who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Uh, I'm sure that during this time where Moses has been on the backside of the desert, maybe his self-confidence has taken a hit. He used to be a prince of Egypt. He used to have stature and authority to his name. He used to be able to walk into a place and be respected, but now he's a nobody. Now he's a shepherd on the backside of the desert. And God is asking him to go before the most powerful king and, and uh, one of the most powerful kings in the world that we know of at that time and say, uh, Pharaoh, the, the group of people that you have enslaved and you're asking to build all your cities and are really, really good for your economy, you don't have to pay them much, uh, my God wants you to let them go. That would have been a very big message to give to a king at that point. And Moses is saying, I'm, I'm a nobody, and you're asking me to do this difficult job. Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? Now, we see this in verse 11. But I want to contrast this with what God said in verse 8. Let's all go back to verse 8 and let's look at what God says. He said, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good land and a large unto a land flowing with uh, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Did God said Moses was going to do it 
or he was going to do it. Moses heard the job, and he went to himself. And he said, I, I, I can't do that. I'm a nobody. I don't, I don't have the authority. I don't have the power. I don't have the stature. But that's not what God asked him to do. God said he was going to send him, but he was going to be God's representative. But who is going to be doing the work? Who is going to be exhorting the power? It was going to be God. Friends, it's easy for us to go into an area of service and focus on ourselves. Oftentimes, we can look at ourselves and we can say, what am I going to get out of this? How is this going to help me? Or we can even look at it as Moses did and we can say, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if this is, uh, if this is the right job for me. I, I'm not sure if, this is, if I can do it. But friends, if the Lord is leading you to do a job, if he's leading you into an area of service, he's not asking you to do something that he doesn't think you can do. We need to understand that when God calls us to something, he's calling you to something that you can do. He's focused on himself. In verse 12, we see the Lord's answer to this, and he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I, uh, that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. God gives him a promise. He said, Look, you go and you do what I've asked you to do. You're going to be out of Egypt, and you're going to be serving God on this mountain. God gives him a promise. He goes on and, and, and verse 13, And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Verse 14, we see, And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Friends, can I tell you that when we look at our areas of service, no matter where it may be, a janitor in, the, in our local church, a Sunday school teacher, a missionary, an evangelist, a pastor, and we focus on ourselves, it's the wrong area of focus. Because it's not us with the power to do the work. But it's God working through us to do the power. What does God want from us? He wants our willingness. He wants our, he wants our surrender to go. Moses said, who am I? God said, I am that I am. You go to the children of Israel and you say, I am hath sent me unto you. So he had a perspective problem. He was focused on himself. But secondly, then Moses, he looks at the people and he says, I might have some people problems here. You know, people can be difficult. Uh, People can be challenging. People can be stubborn. Moses, I think, looked at the children of Israel, the Hebrews, and and, in in Exodus chapter 4, in verse 1, Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. I think Moses was looking at his circumstances, and he said, I have to go to a a group of over 2 million people, and I have to tell them that God... Has Jehovah God has spoken to me through a burning bush on the back side of the desert that nobody else saw and told me to come here to Pharaoh and tell him to let all of you go. 
And Moses is looking at that situation. He said, they're not, they're not going to believe what I'm telling them. You know, friends, it's really easy for us to look at the people sometimes that we deal with, especially those that we're trying to be a witness to, and, and we can let the fear of them not believing us get in the way of the need for us to be a witness. And we can look at them and we can say, oh, they're going to be a hard, hard person to deal with. They're going to be a person that is stubborn. They could be mean. They could be, they could just, they could be demanding. And I, I, I just don't know how this is going to go. And we can make all kinds of excuses to not be a witness because we're afraid of what those people may do. And they're the very people that need us to go to them. The Lord, looked at Mo, uh, the Lord spoke to Moses in verse 2. And the Lord, said unto, uh, the Lord said unto him, What is in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And we know from Exodus chapter 4 and verse 3, um, the Lord tells Moses to cast the rod on the ground. And when it hit the ground, it became a serpent. Boy, that would have been a surprise. One, why well, I tell people all the time, one of the most uh, grateful things that I am about my calling in the area of uh, the country that God has called me to is some, uh, snakes are almost gone. Uh, just, just through different areas, ways of nature, there are almost no snakes. And I can wade through the jungles and the bush with confidence that I am not going to run across a snake. And it, boy, it, it gives me enough courage. <laughs> and I'm thankful for that. I am not a fan of snakes. And so uh, if, if I were Moses in this situation, I threw a rod down and it became a snake, I would have had a hard time. But then God told Moses to pick it up. I would have had a hard time with that one. But he picked it up and it became a rod. And then God told Moses to put his hand in his garment. And when he pulled it out, it had leprosy that time in the in biblical times we know that leprosy was one of the most feared diseases in the world can you imagine pulling your hand out and having it uh having it covered with leprosy and the fear that the 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 short term or the 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 shock of fear that that must have been for moses but god told him to put his hand back in his garment and when he pulled it out it was as the other flesh it was healed and God says, God tells Moses in verse 8, he said, And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take of the water of the river, and pour it upon the dry land, and the water which thou takest out of the river shall become blood upon the dry land. Again, Moses, he was focused on the task. He was focused on the people that God was calling him to, and he said, there are hard people. We know that in Exodus chapter, uh, in, in Exodus, they're twice referred to as stiff-necked people. They're stubborn people. Moses, I think, knew this so well because he was a Hebrew himself. But here we see that God gives him the ability to do miracles. And God says, here, I'm giving you this ability to do what? So that the people will believe. Friends, can I tell you, God has not asked us to fulfill the Great Commission as New Testament Christians without any help. He hasn't asked us to go out into all the world and to preach the gospel without any aids whatsoever. 
He's given us everything that we need to do to fulfill what he's asked us to do. Friends, he's given us God's word, which gives us the truth in a world that is void of truth. He's given us the Holy Spirit that can work on the behalf, on our behalf, that as we're giving the gospel, as we're preaching this word, the Holy Spirit can work in the heart of a sinner and say, hey, what you're hearing, that's truth, and you need to listen. As we're, as we're talking to our neighbors, we're talking to a family member that for years has been, has been uh, antagonist to uh, and, uh, and, and uh uh, I lost my word to it, has been uh, avoiding the gospel. The Holy Spirit can, can work through them. The Holy Spirit can work with them. The word of God contains the words that the lost need to hear. He's given us the tools that we need to fulfill the work. Friends, we must take hold of these tools. We must learn them, and we must use them. Moses was looking at difficult people. And can I, friends, can I tell you, God hasn't told us to save people. We cannot save people. But he's told us to be the witness. He's told us to be the messenger, to be his ambassador. We have to tell them the, the truth of God's word. We have to tell them. We have to preach to them the gospel so that that seed of the gospel can be planted. But, friends, what we cannot do is look at them and say they're difficult people, they're hard people, they're stubborn people, so I guess I just won't go. Friends, we cannot use the people, the very people that need the gospel, as an excuse to not go to them. So he had people problems, but we see thirdly that Moses, he, he, he goes back around and he looks at himself, he focuses on himself. In Exodus chapter 4 and verse 10 Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who have made man's mouth, or who maketh the dumb or deaf, or the seen or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. Moses here looks at himself. He looks at his personal abilities, what he feels is his personal abilities, and he says, They're not good enough. I'm slow of speech, I'm slow of tongue, I'm not eloquent. I find this, this, this excuse or this problem that he presents to God very interesting. As I was studying this passage of scripture, uh, I came across Exodus chapter 7 and verse 20 through 22, where it says, In which time Moses was born an exceeding fair and nourished up in his father's house three months, and when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up, nourished him for her own son, and Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. So here Moses is giving the excuse to God that he's not eloquent, he's slow of speech, but Exodus chapter 7, verse 22, it tells us that Moses was mighty in words and deeds. Now it could have been that Moses thought that he had been away from Egypt for so long and, and uh, he had been on the backside of the desert. Maybe he had lost some of the education that he had learned and he was not confident in it. But friends, what it tells us is that Moses had the capabilities to do what God was asking him to do. Moses had everything that he needed in his oratory and in his, in his knowledge 
to do what God was asking him to do, but he used it as an excuse. He said, I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. But God's answer to him is very interesting. God said, and the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seen or the blind? Have not I the Lord? What I really believe God is telling Moses here is, Who made you? Who, who created you? Friends, can I tell you that God knows us better than we know ourselves? He knows everything. He knows us down to the very atom, to the very molecule of our existence. And I would say that our creator who knows us that well, if he gives us a job to do, he knows whether we can do it or not. And so he's not going to give us a job that he doesn't think we're unable to do. When I was growing up, my, I worked for my brother on a landscaping business, and my brother, he always had a dream since he was a young man, uh, a young boy, to build his own lawnmower. And uh, he just has that talent to be able to think up a creation, and he'll, he'll build it. He'll look at an area of, of his house that needs to be fixed, and he'll figure out this interesting contraption to fix the whole whatever area or whatever uh, appliance is needed in his house. He'll fix it. He just has the ability. Uh, he has a wonderful mechanical mind. When I have a question... Uh, about my, my car on the road. He's the one that I often call, and I'll say, it, it clicks like this when I do this uh, at this time, at this speed, and he says, it's this problem right here. Check these problems first. He's a wonderful, he's a wonderful brother to have for a, a missionary on the road. But he's, he always had a dream to build his own lawnmower from, uh, from scratch, and he did. But friends, can I tell you, when he pulled this lawnmower out of the garage for the first time, it was the goofiest-looking lawnmower that you had ever seen. There were so many bells and whistles on this lawnmower that I and my, the mowing crew that worked with us looked at it, and we didn't know the first thing, how to run it. And I said, I said, Stephen, you can't ask us to put this thing on the trailer and try to make a more profitable day out of it. I said, we have no idea how to run it. And he said, just give it a day, and, and, and we'll see how it goes. And we did, and it was a disaster. Uh, we, it, I mean, we tried to mow it, and we were mowing on, on one of our, some of our best lawns that day, and we just made them look terrible because we had no idea how to run this lawnmower. So I take it back to him that, that evening, and I look at him, and I, say, I, I, I pull it off the trailer, and I say, Stephen, I don't ever want to see that on, on the mowing trailer again. I said, it does not help us today. It causes more problems. And he looked at, he looked at me, and he said, give me a second with it. And he got on that lawnmower, he went and he mowed his front lawn. And when I went by the, he had started mowing and I put the other things away from the trailer and I walked around to the front lawn to see how it was, how it was going. And friends, can I tell you, it looked like a professional had mowed the lawn. See, I had tried to get on that lawnmower, I knew nothing about it. But when my brother got on the lawnmower, the man who had created it, who knew everything about it, who had been involved in every aspect of its being built, he got on it and he started to use it. It did what it was supposed to. Friends, God created us. And if God is working in your heart and burdening you to a specific area of service, whether it be a mission field, uh, an area of service here in the United States, friends, God knows. God's calling you because he knows you can do it. 
And not because of your power, because of your talents, but he knows he has the power to be able to make you do it. Friends, we have to trust in God as he calls us to things that we look at and we feel that they are bigger than than ourselves because they are. So he had personal problems, but lastly and in closing, we see that all through Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4, Moses was concerned with the future. He was concerned with the possibilities of how things may turn out. He was concerned about how he would be received by Moses. He was concerned about how he would be received by the people of Israel. And I'm sure there was even some uh, outlying concerns about, boy, if, if we do get out of the reach of, uh, out of the grips of Moses and we, we get into the wilderness, how, how am I going to provide for two million people in a barren desert? I'm sure Moses' mind and his, his worries were just full of what may happen. But several times through Exodus chapter 3 and Exodus chapter 4, God promises Moses something. In Exodus chapter 3 and verse 12, God says to Moses, Certainly I shall be with thee. In Exodus chapter 4 and verse 12, it says, Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth. In Exodus chapter 4 verse 15, it says, And I will be with thy mouth and his mouth, and will teach you what ye shall do. God promises to Moses his presence. And he says, where you are at, what, what you are doing as you are fulfilling my task, as you are fulfilling the duty that I have given you, I'm going to be there with you. Friends, can I tell you the same God that told Moses that he would be with him is the same God that told us in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. God has promised us his presence in fulfilling the Great Commission. As I was a little boy, uh, we moved out from a city, city life. Well, I say city life. Uh, I'm, I'm from northeast Missouri, and so when I say city life, I'm talking about a town of 500 people going out to actual country of, of 19 acres of woods. And so we moved out of town, and we moved into the country, and uh, I had 19 acres of wood of, as my playground, and it was wonderful. But there was one time of day that I would never step foot in those woods. Boy, I had all kinds of courage during the daytime, but when it got dark, my little imagination would go crazy. There hadn't been a black bear spotted in our county in over 50 years, but I knew there was one in my woods just waiting on me to get courage to walk in there at nighttime. One night, I had left my sled out, and my dad had made. My dad had been telling me several times to go back and get my sled. Uh, I had continued to leave my sled out in the elements. It was winter, and he said, "Son, go go and get your sled." And I would like to say that I clicked my heels, said "Yes, sir," and I marched right into those woods fearlessly. But I sat. I, I ran into my room, and I thought, "How can I get out of this?" Because I knew. In my mind, as an eight-year-old, I knew that in those woods was impending doom. And I didn't want to do this. And I said, how can I make my dad forget what he's asked me to do? And so I started, I, I went and did the dishes. I cleaned my room. And I finished my homework. And I thought, boy, it came bedtime. And I thought, I think I've, dad was impressed. And I think, I, I think I got him impressed enough. I think he forgot what he asked me to do at supper time. 
Sure enough, he came in into my bedroom to pray with me and, and uh, give me a hug goodnight. First thing he said was, son, did you get your sled? And I said, no, dad, I didn't. He looked at me with disappointment. He said, son, why? And I started crying. I said, dad, if I go into those woods, you may never see me again. <laughs> and I said, I'm scared. I said, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what's in those woods at nighttime. And he looked at me and he said, son, because you're scared does not give you an excuse to disobey. He said, if you were scared, if you're scared, you should have told me. He said, now I want you to get your boots, your coat, and your flashlight, and I want you to go into those woods, and I want you to get your sled like I asked you to do at supper. And I started bawling all over again. And he said, son, I'm not done talking yet. He said, I know you're scared. And because you're scared, he said, I want you to know that I'm going to go get my boots, my coat, and my flashlight, and I'm going to go with you. Friends, as a little boy, can I tell you, my dad telling me that he would be walking with me through those woods changed my whole outlook. I was walking through those woods, holding my hands, I'm thinking, come on, come on, coyotes, you just try it. Because I knew that when I was in the presence of my dad and when I was holding my dad's hand, my dad wasn't going to let anything happen to me. He was my protector. In the eyes, as, as a little boy, in my eyes, my dad was my protector. He was my provider. And there was nobody that could beat him. And so being in the presence of my dad gave me confidence. Friends, here, God, in Matthew chapter 28, God has promised us his presence. God has told us that he will be with us. In Hebrews, in Hebrews uh, I believe it's in Hebrews chapter 13, God tells us that he would be with us so that we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper and I will not fear what men can do unto me. Friends, we can find courage in the reality of God's presence. So, friends, as we're going out and as, as the Holy, maybe the Holy Spirit begins to work on us about a need, maybe a lost person in, in our area of influence, there's a good opportunity, there's a good chance that excuses will probably start to come into your thinking. But, friends, let's look at the example of Moses and that Moses had some pretty good excuses. <laughs> he was pretty worried. He had a pretty big monumental task. But with every excuse that Moses brought before God, God gave him an answer of why he could do what God had asked him to do. So friends, as we're going out, do not let the excuses rule in your heart. Do not let the excuses control your area of service. But friends, rather let God who has created you and who has called you, give you the power to do what he's asked you to do and to lean on his presence, to lean on his promises as you fulfill, as you, be, as you are obedient to Christ and the Great Commission.